Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. We're in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Let's get there and we'll begin reading at verse number 1 this morning. First, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. The next couple verses are what we're going to look in to this morning. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer before we break down these verses. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can meet here so freely. Lord, we appreciate a building to meet in. We appreciate the saints that have showed up. We do ask you to be with us. Help us to gain some wisdom this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse number 10, let's start off. That's pretty heavy stuff. The Bible says in verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine." Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Fully known. What is, what is fully known here? Doctrine. We've got to study doctrine. And uh, go back to, sec, uh, let's go forward to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 17. What else is, what else does you want to make fully known? Chapter 4, verse 17. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me, and strengthen me that by me the preaching might be fully known 
and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Who stands with him? The Lord. Who strengthens him? The Lord. And what does he want to make sure is fully known? Preaching. How do people learn doctrine? Through preaching. We can't half-heartedly put stuff together. We've got to understand doctrine. It's important because it will shape someone's world view. It will shape their church view. So we want to be able to teach them doctrine. Fully known. And then the Bible says, my doctrine. When Paul says this in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it isn't some special Paul-only or hyper-dispensational doctrine. Are you saved? Am I saved? It's my doctrine. Are you saved? It's your doctrine. It's not a special doctrine that was only revealed to Paul, and so now we're only going to go with Paul. Well, Paul went with what the Lord said, which is we can use all of the New Testament, not just the Pauline epistles. So we don't want to take when Paul says, or we read my doctrine, that now we're only going to go with what is written in what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. If you're saved, it's your gospel. If I'm saved, it's my gospel. It's the same gospel. And then it says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. Boys and girls, it matters how you live. Girls and boys, your manners matter. See if you can say that. Manners matter. Manners matter. Your manner. You see the, the way that I am moving my face and my lips to fully express manner of life speaks louder than the words that you speak. Yo, yeah, you got doctrine. Mm-hmm. But your manner of life doesn't match the doctrine that you say you know and believe. The way you live matters. Kids can sometimes have bad manners. Isn't it a a true joy to the heart of a mother or a grandmother when she's out in public and someone comments how wonderfully behaved and good-mannered their children are. Isn't that, a, isn't that what every mother and grandmother, it just makes their day. They skip right through the, 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 the checkout line and through the parking lot. Isn't it great to hear that? Because we live in the times where manners aren't taught. The way you live doesn't matter. It's do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. Dress however you want to dress. Talk however you want to talk. But it matters. It speaks to other people 
who you are, the way that you conduct yourself. Manner means your form, your method, your way of performing, your mannerisms. We all have them. We all have them. All wives know how to look at their husbands and say, I'm really disappointed in this. And all husbands know how to look at their wives and say, I'm really disappointed in this. And all Kids know how to look at their parents and say, I really want this. <laughs> it's mannerisms. It's your manner. We need to be careful. Our manner of life should be very welcoming to people that come in and may want to visit. Because they'll pick up on our manner, our mannerisms. It's very important. Fully know my doctrine. Great. You got doctrine down. Manner of life. And then the Bible says purpose. Purpose. 1 John chapter 3. When I was a new Christian, I had got invited to a men's study Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock. Well, that's early. We were going to study the Bible. Well, it was really... Rick Warren's purpose-driven life. <laughs> and I'm not going to go on a, on, a, uh, on a side trail on that because that won't be edifying to anybody. It'd be fun, but your purpose-driven life. We do have a purpose. We do have a purpose. So hold 1 John. We want 1 John chapter 3. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, and purpose. You know, Romans 8 says we are called according to His purpose. 2 Timothy 1 said we have been called with an holy calling according to His own purpose. Our purpose in life is to live for Him. Girls, boys, living holy isn't weird. It's right. It's normal. You are called to live a holy life. That's something special. If someone makes fun of you because you want to live holy, you want to talk holy, you want to act holy, you want to dress holy and not walk around naked like most young people are doing today, Living holy is normal. Living holy is biblical. That's our purpose in life. And then Ephesians 3 says, you know what our purpose is? To live with an eternal perspective. Now, you probably have the perspective of what's for lunch. Okay? And if you don't, you probably do now because I mentioned it. Our perspective is very short-term thinking. It is very instant gratification. It is very convenience-based. How much convenience do we need? 
How much instant gratification do we need? You might have to go to the restaurant and the waitress might say it's going to be a 25-minute wait. Well, I don't have 25 minutes. Of course you don't. You're an American. You need to eat now. You know how many people die in 25 minutes? I don't. But I know there's a number. That's a soul. That's an eternal perspective. You see that? Can you be uncomfortable here on this life that's temporal? It's all vanity anyway. I'm building a house that someone else is going to live in someday that I built for me. I mean, what's, what do I care? If logs and stain, it doesn't matter to me. Someone else is going to have it. I'm not taking it with me. You can use it for God's glory. You can use it. What's your perspective? What's your perspective? You were called to have an eternal perspective. How many of you thought about what you can do for the Lord this last week? Kids, put your hands up. All right, now you don't have to tell me, you don't have to call it out, but I want you to think and recall in your mind right now what it was. Don't shout it out, don't call it out, but you recall in your mind what did you do for the Lord this week where you thought about, I want to do something where the Lord's involved in this. I want to do something that would please the Lord. I want to make a decision that would be good because it would be for my Savior. Or, was every decision about you getting pleasure, gratification, a toy, something, or food? You know, you can train animals pretty easily with food. You're not an animal. Do your parents feed you? Okay. Do they feed you more than once a day? Do your parents feed you more than twice a day? then stop complaining that you're hungry. Stop complaining that you can't get something right away. Stop complaining that life isn't going how you want it because some kids eat one meal a day. A day! And you get three. Well, four, because you got to have dessert, right? Because if not, you would have mean parents that don't love you. Guess what? You don't have to have dessert. It's not a rule that kids are going to enforce and take over the world of their parents by making them feel like they're somehow some evil mom or dad because they don't get dessert. Well, I got news for you. Some kids, they don't have dessert more than once a month. Yeah, I know it's shocking because you're spoiled with food. Uh, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Stuff your face with a Twinkie 
and you're happy. Take the Twinkie away and you're complaining. Am I right? Say I'm wrong. Because you live with an eternal perspective. And there's things more important than Twinkies and donuts and ice cream and sprinkles and cupcakes and flowers. That's not life. God has something more important for you than instant gratification. It's called an eternal purpose. Say that, kids. Eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. Let's hear it. Eternal purpose. Now, where were we? We were supposed to be in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Let's get there. I kind of went off on a runaway train right there. 1 John chapter 3. Here's why I went through all that. Look at what it says. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. Verse number 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth, doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Look at it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Why would you live after the doctrine of the devil? Why would you live according to the devil's manner of life when God, the Son of God, destroyed the work of the devil? Something that God destroyed is who people want to live for. Why? You have something so much better. Look at it. The world is soaked in sin and Christians, oh, that's appealing to me. Why? The Son of God was manifested to destroy all that work. And if you live for the devil... You desire the things of the devil. I am telling you, it is not, it's not going to change. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change now and it won't change in the future. Everybody's doing it. And kids, you're going to get to a point where you're going to say to your dad or to your mom, those same words. Everybody's doing it. So here's what I'm going to tell you right now. And you remember this. Everybody that's doing it is wrong. Everybody that's doing it is dumb. Everybody that's doing it is soaked in sin and doesn't have a clue. So don't use the expression and the excuse, everybody's doing it. Why can't I do it? Because your parents think that's why. And your friends or the everybody, guess what they're not doing? Thinking. Everybody's doing it. Yep, they are. 
So just jump right in there and get the result that everybody's getting. Because most people haven't a clue what it means to live with the purpose of eternity. Eternity. Who can count to eternity? One, then after the ones come the what? Tens, and after the tens come the hundreds, and after the hundreds comes the thousands, and after the thousands comes the millions, and after the millions comes the billions, and after the billions comes the trillion, and after the trillion comes the zillion, something with a Z, because that sounds really high. What comes after the zillion? I don't know. But Okay, and you know what? You'll never get to eternity because eternity is... You know what this life is? Vapor. Here and gone. House is gone. Car is gone. Chairs are gone. Table's gone. Gone. It's all gone. You know what you're left with? Eternity. You know what God wants you to live for? Eternity. An eternal purpose. Not a, I have to get it now. What else do we see? Faith. 32 times in the book of 1st and 2nd Timothy alone, faith is mentioned. Paul starts out the book of 1 Timothy in the first or second verse, and he says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And all through, just looking at 1 and 2 Timothy, all through it, faith unfeigned, abundant with faith, holding faith, in faith and verity, continuing faith, holding the mystery of the faith, boldness and faith, Nourished up in the words of faith. Follow after faith. Fight the good fight of faith. In love and faith. Follow faith. And then he finishes. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. And you know what he says? I have kept the faith. It's a battle. He says, I've kept it. How about you? When your life is about to end, will you be able to say, I have kept the faith? Or will you be lying in a nursing home saying, I regret to say, I wish I would have stayed on course with the faith. I regret to say I wish I would have. You have the opportunity now to live by faith. Not by sight.
You will walk into the store, children, and you will. they put all of the stuff right at eye level for kids. All the sugary cereal. Go ahead, go in there, look at it. And you will see it and you will want it. And you know what the devil's going to do? He is going to put everything at eye level for you to see it. But we don't live by sight. We live by what? Faith. 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 Now, mixed with all the positive verses of faith in First and Second Timothy, you know what else we see? Concerning the faith have made shipwreck. Some shall depart from the faith denied the faith, cast off their first faith, erred from the faith, overthrow the faith of some, reprobate concerning the faith. What's it going to be? The example that we see in 1 Timothy? Or are you going to fall into the warning category? To be careful of. We got to make that decision. Our life is lived as a life of faith. Long suffering. I'm going to give you something real theological. I'm going to give you something that you got to go away to Bible school, Bible college for four years. And you need two years of Greek for this. Because in the Greek, here's what long suffering means. You ready? It means to suffer long. I mean, that's, that's deep. That's deep. Exodus 34, 6. Why don't we turn there? Exodus 34, and then we'll get 1 Peter. This is what we see about God, character of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse number 6. The Lord Right in the middle of the verse. Well, let's read the whole verse. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, <coughs> and abundant in goodness and truth. Let me ask you a question. If you have to suffer long, how can you be abundant in goodness and truth? If you have to go through long suffering, do you have a good attitude? Do you have a truthful attitude? Or is it, here I go suffering again and just gripe and complain about it inside? But here we see the character of God. How are you long suffering? And look at that. Abundant in goodness and truth. You can keep going. He's a long-suffering God. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, we will see. And then get 2 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 3rd chapter... Of both. 
First chapter, First Peter chapter three, verse twenty, we see. Look at this, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. We see the long suffering of God. What is he doing? He's waiting. What is he full of? Goodness. What did he send them? A preacher. What did he preach? Righteousness. What did he give them a chance to? Be saved. Who were the people that were saved? The ones that didn't get wet. <laughs> Not the ones that got into the water. All the ones that got into the water died. Everybody else. The ones that were saved physically were the ones that were 100% dry. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. <laughs> well, that's funny because none of those guys got wet and they all lived and the ones that got wet died. It's kind of curious. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. We see the long suffering of God in the days of Noah. He's a good God. He's full of truth. Ark was prepared. Preacher was prepared. And then 2 Peter chapter 3. Look how he is to us. Verse 9. A lot of people read this verse one way and they say this is for, yeah, the Lord's long-suffering to those that perish. But look what it says. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to who? Us. Word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If the Lord is long suffering to usward, maybe he's suffering long and he's long suffering because we're not going after those that are perishing and that need to come to repentance and the Lord saying, I'm really long suffering to you. Children. The child of God, this is written to the believer, this is written to and God said, I'm long. He's long suffering to us. Because we're maybe we're not going after it like we should, because there's people that are perishing and they need to come to repentance. We have a long-suffering God. Amen? Amen. All right, what does the Bible say next? Charity. A special love and it's extended to brothers and sisters in Christ. That's charity. You know what the Bible says about charity? Basically, if you don't have it, if I don't have it, you and I are nothing. 
We should love. We should have a special love. That's that special love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, now we'll have a, a great verse, a great word in here. Patience. How many of you have a brother or sister? How many of you think your brother or sister has to control the situation every time? Not having to control a situation is called patience. You're just going to sit back. Okay, I'm just going to be patient. If you're an employer, you're going to need patience because the first week on the job, the guy isn't going to know to put the purple primer on first and not the glue first. He's going to mess it up. And he's going to put the glue on first and the thing needed to be primed first. And you're just going to have to sit back and say, okay, no problem, man. No problem. We'll go back, rip the thing out, do it again. You put the purple on first, you dummy. No, you don't say that. Because that wouldn't be being, that wouldn't have a heart of patience. Ladies that have been making beds for years, you get some girl starts coming to church, don't really have much training. She doesn't have parents. She's on her own. She gets saved and she's helping out with. She's not going to know how to fold a blanket and fix a bed. She's not going to know how to clean a kitchen. She's not going to know how to do any of those things because she wasn't taught. And you can't take for granted because you were that she's going to get it right. Just, just whisper it. Patience. 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 You know who deals with this in a real way? Expecting mothers. I mean, it's nine months of patience. And then the last two months, it's a lot of patience. You aren't in control. Ask any expecting mother. It's all on the Lord's timing. And you're just waiting on the Lord. Patience. Long-suffering. All right. We're in 2 Timothy. We're winding down. We have two more verses. Everybody knows how long it takes me to get through a verse, right? 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse number 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came into me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. It came to Paul, where? At Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Guess where it's going to come to you? At Cookville, at fill in the blank, at fill in the blank. It's going to come to you too. It might not come to you at Antioch, but it's going to come to you. Let me ask you a question. Who are you counting on to deliver you? Are we counting on the Lord? 
Or are you counting on something that you're going to have to do and control? You know, as you show charity and patience and long suffering. <laughs> you see? Who's the deliverer? The Lord. Plan, prepare, organize, structureize, disciplinize, do all that. But don't forget that the Lord is the one who will deliver. The Lord is the one who epitomize, who just, it, it's the full perfect example of long-suffering, charity, patience. Last verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Except, it's not the last verse I'm going to read, and except it doesn't say that. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I've noticed something, and this isn't true all the time, so it's just my opinion, but you ever notice that all of these people that go to these churches never really seem to have much persecution? It's always a happy Monday. Every day is a motivational Monday. I'm just walking in the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. I love the joy of the Lord. I think we all should be happy in the Lord. I think we all should rejoice in the Lord all the time. But they kind of act, they, that is this culture of this game show host type of happiness. It's like a plasticky happy. I don't get it. You never have a trial. You never have a persecution. You never have struggles going your way. Well, I have two questions. Are you in Christ Jesus? Yes. Do you live godly? <laughs> if you're not in Christ Jesus, I get it. You're clouded. Everything's, you don't get it. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you know what he asked you to do? Live a godly life. And if you do that, you're going to be made fun of. You're going to be called a fanatic. And fill in the blank on any other names you've been called or come to mind. But maybe they don't suffer persecution because they don't witness. They don't take a public stand for Jesus Christ. They don't live a godly life. And the topic of this verse isn't, I am not saying that tomorrow all of us should go down and register for some more persecution in our life. Nobody wants that. And that's not what I want. That's not what I want for you. That's not what I want for me. All I'm saying is that the Bible clearly says if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Maybe not the extent of Paul. Maybe not the extent of some of the first century Christians. But you will. And so will I. So don't get alarmed. Don't think you've got to run out and get a Joel Osteen book or go to the self-help section of Barnes and Nobles and get some false doctrine from those phonies. We will. If we live a godly life in Christ Jesus. 
Don't be alarmed. Don't think that there's something wrong with you. That's what God says is going to happen. Just embrace it. Don't sign up for it. Don't register for it. Don't look for it. <laughs> Don't try to find it. It just will find you in some way, shape, or form. We don't want it. We don't like it. But you live for the Lord. It's going to happen. Last verse, 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the mark of the last days. Evil men and seducers. Wax, that's a good word. That's, that's a word you don't hear much anymore, right? Wax. Everybody, kids say wax. Wax. That means to keep increasing in size or to grow. Could also mean to pass from one state to another. To become larger. To grow in size. To become worse and worse. A child, for example, can wax strong. You weren't strong last year. You're strong this year. You're strong this year, but next year you'll be stronger. You're waxing strong. Last days, you know what's going to happen? Evil men and seducers, it's going to just get worse and worse. They're worse. They're bad now. They're going to be badder next year. They're worse next year. They're going to be worse the next year. I don't even know if they're all words, but it's just going to keep getting worse. They just wax worse and worse. So what do we have to finish out? Last days, we see men love themselves. They're proud to go through that whole list. They have a form of godliness. Stay away from them. What do we look at this morning? Look. But thou, this is Paul writing to Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, What does he say? Out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Don't fret. Don't fret. We're on the Lord's side. Don't fret it. Don't let it get to you. We can't keep that in mind. It's going to keep getting worse and worse. Don't worry. Don't worry. The Lord will deliver. Amen. Amen. All right, it's bow in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Be with us. This week, help us to apply what we have learned in a real way in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.